session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I have a guest tonight, so I won't be taking any calls. Let me introduce you to her now. Dr. Nazanin Mali is a licensed clinical psychologist and an ASECT certified sex therapist. Her private practice is located in Los Angeles, and she specializes in working with couples and individuals struggling with issues related to sexual health. Dr. Mali hosts a weekly podcast called Sexology, Introducing the most intriguing findings in psychology of sex and intimacy. You can find that podcast at sexologypodcast.com. It's also available on Apple Podcasts, Pod, uh, Spotify, and Stitcher. Am I saying that right? Yes. yes. Uh, and you can also check out her private practice at oasis2care.com. Oasis, the number two, care.com. Dr. Nazain Mali, thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited for our conversation. Yes, me too. And um, I know you from many years back when you were actually in graduate school, and we can talk a bit about your journey going uh, into sex therapy. And we talked a few months ago about having you on the show because one of the things I always try to do on my program is to talk about mental health, mental health issues, and especially to talk about taboo topics and things that might have a stigma attached to them because the only ways we overcome taboo and stigma is to talk about them so that people feel more comfortable addressing them and don't feel like they have to uh, hide something or something is wrong with them. And so I'm so happy to have you on today because I think sex and sexual issues definitely fall into that taboo uh, category. And so I think it's so wonderful to have an expert like yourself to talk about sex, sexual health, sexual issues. Uh, so I really appreciate you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So we'll probably talk on a touch upon a, def, a bunch of different topics, but we first can just say, what would you say is sex therapy? Because I think one of the things we're going to do, I think, is look at a lot of myths and misconceptions people have around these topics. But maybe we can talk with that general uh, topic of what sex therapy is. It's a form of counseling and therapy that helps people to resolve their sexual challenges, improve the quality of connection they have with their partner, and create the sex life that's exciting and uh, invigorating for them. Yeah, and I think that's, um, you know, we'll get into more of the details of what that looks like, because I think a lot of people have these misconceptions. They hear the word sex therapy or sex therapist, and, you know, things you'll see in movies or things people just like hear come to their mind that aren't reflective, just like therapy in general, you know. often have to deal with that where people have certain misconceptions about what therapy is because of what they've seen in some movie um, or, or TV show. So as I mentioned, I know that, you know, as and I describing you have a PhD in clinical psychology. And so it wasn't always your path or your, your thinking you were going to sex therapy. Maybe you could share with us a bit about your story, because I think that will be 
meaningful a lot of people to see how you got into sex therapy as we further explore what it is and what it isn't. So yeah, share your story with us if sure. you don't mind. I would be happy to. So um, I'm coming from more of a conservative background. I didn't get much information about sexual health. And uh, when I, I was at graduate school, uh, I started experiencing pain during intercourse. We call that uh, dyspronia. And I talked to my gynecologist about it. Uh, he advised me to have a couple glasses of wine. I talked to our couples counselor. It was a wonderful person. Uh, he he helped us to talk about the communication around sex, which is very, very important. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't until I started working with a sex therapist that I was able to address what was at the core of the issue. issue. Mm-hmm. This limiting belief around sexuality, the shame and guilt connected with sex, all of these things that I never talked to anyone about it because I didn't have much awareness around that mm-hmm. that was showing up in my body during sex and uh, it, it was impacting my relationship the quality of life because when you're struggling with sexual dysfunction it's not only impacting your uh, relationship and sexual health it's impacting quality of life mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I uh, the work I did with that sex therapist transformed my uh, my life in a way and I, and I felt it was so meaningful that I I wanted to do that for for people and couples because she changed my life yeah that's you know you shared this with me before today i thought that was very um powerful and also i appreciate your vulnerability sharing what you've gone through and as we'll talk about most people go through something when it comes to sexual issues mental health in general we all have things we go through so i think the more we talk about them the more it makes it okay for people and they feel more comfortable um but i think what you're mentioning is really important because a lot of professionals don't know about that. And so you think, okay, my gynecologist will know if it's pain during intercourse. Well, that seems like it's very much the gynecologist will have that expertise, but often they won't. Um, And even a lot of couples therapists might not have the expertise in uh, sexual health as you experience as well, or um, sexual issues. So, you know, I'm even wondering for you, was there any hesitancy to go see a sex therapist because you mentioned coming from a more conservative background, but I think for a lot of people, they might think couples therapy, yes, but sex therapy might seem like something, oh no, we, we're not gonna do that. So did you yourself experience that? For me, it was more about the feeling of hopelessness. Mm-hmm. If the couples therapist couldn't address it, what else is out there that a sex right. therapist can do? Because sex therapy is a form of very specialized way of approaching things. And although I was in graduate program in psychology, I did not know what is sex therapy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it's more similar to the talk therapy I was doing with a couple's counselor. Uh, but there are specialized uh, kind of approaches and intervention that a sex therapist uses that, that can be very, very helpful. But for me, it was more of feeling of, okay, this is not gonna change, but let me give it a shot. Uh-huh. I guess that's something that I have to live with. I was thinking it's more like a chronic pain that you have to live with and adjust with, not necessarily something that you can completely eradicate. And uh-huh. that was very interesting to experience. Yeah, you know, that hopelessness that you described, I think, before the show, we were talking about, okay, what's our intention today? You know, I, I, so I try to do that in a, a grounding kind of way. And one of them was to hopefully, if there are people listening who feel hopeless about their sexual issue, also might even think it's just something about me, something's wrong with me, uh, to give them that hope that there is help out there and there are techniques and treatments that can be helpful for them. So we hope if you're listening, 
and you've ever experienced sexual issues or you're dealing with one right now, you know that you're not alone and also that there is help out there and we can get more into what that help might look like. Because as you said, sex therapy, yes, it's a type of therapy, but it can be very different from traditional, like let's say individual therapy or couples therapy, even though we might think it's a couple's issue. There, there could be other things there as well. Um, but again, I appreciate when you share your story because I think many people will relate to that because it's such a common thing. You know, every couple I've seen, um, sexual issues are, it's a big aspect of the relationship, but it's so interesting because it's so significant, but then at the same time felt like something you can't talk about. So couples will have that issue, but then they'll talk about everything else and feel like they shouldn't talk about that. And I even feel like actually some couples therapists might even feel that sometimes that, okay, asking about the sex life, they could feel uncomfortable. I've heard that before from clients that the sex therapist, the, the couples therapist didn't ask about sex because they feel like even they might think it's taboo to get into those types of details. So um, I think that's really important. So you went through your own experience and then that pushed you or made motivated you to want to go into studying to help other people who might be going through something like you're going through. So what was that next step for you um, in, in going towards that type of uh, therapy? Great question. So I I got two to, a total of two uh, classes in uh, sexual health in my entire uh, programming. One in my undergrad and one in my doctoral program. It's very very basic. Mm -hmm. So when I wanted to become a sex therapist, uh, I looked through different organizations, and there's specific organization in uh, U.S. Uh, ASAC that provides certification. Part of it is like you're doing almost two years of coursework hmm. that gives you information about research in different uh, areas of sexual health, treatments, and then afterward, uh, you have to, although you're licensed, you have to go to a supervisor, talk about your cases, you have to do group supervision, so you're sharing your uh, treatments and you're talking to someone that's already an expert in the area. After that, you submit for certification, and then if you have all the information, then you become sex therapist, and you have to continue going to conferences and places mm -hmm. to make sure that you're aware of the newest finding in this area, because it is a very exciting time. There are tons of interesting research around uh, sex, sexual health treatments, sexual challenges, mm -hmm. and um, it's, it's important to be aware of those things. Yeah, and I, th I'm, I think it's important for people to hear that so they know that your couples therapist might not know because they haven't gone through all this training that you had to go through uh, classes and supervision to really make sure you're, you're understanding how to treat these issues because yeah, I can also agree with you. I don't know if I had even two classes that were specifically focused. I took, maybe in undergrad, I took some that were, but those were like electives. But as far as getting trained in sexual issues in a graduate school, um, it wasn't really a big part of that, even in the couples therapy class that I took. And I think that's sometimes a misconception. It's not to think that you're therapist doesn't know a lot of things because hopefully they, they do, but they don't necessarily know everything about everything to help every kind of person. And that's why we were talking before the show about limitations, knowing, okay, for this issue, I, I probably won't be able to help. I send them to someone. But I think sexual issues, people feel like that's not a place where they can go, go to someone. So um, have you noticed that in your own experience that people are hesitant to go to a sex therapist even i'm imagining when they finally come to you maybe for a while they've been dealing with something before they felt comfortable to come in absolutely what's interesting research shows that couples wait 
on average four to five years before wow. going to a sex therapist for their sexual challenges and something that you can address maybe four years ago with mm-hmm. a few sessions of couple therapy now is compounded with number of different challenges, perhaps relational issues, perhaps infidelity, all mm-hmm. sorts of things. That's first we have to address those before uh, addressing the sexual challenges. So you're absolutely right that people have some misconceptions when it comes to sex therapy because uh, we don't have an accurate representation of what would that look like in uh, popular media. Mm-hmm. Wow, four to five years. I, I'm surprised and not surprised, you know, because even I try to remember that when I see a client in individual therapy or, or couples therapy, that probably they've been dealing with this for a long time because of the taboos and the stigmas attached to mental health and seeking out mental health services. But I can see that for sex therapy, it's even longer. Um, and, you know, I mentioned to you before the show, I work with couples that they've been married for years and not once had they discussed their sexual relationship in an explicit way, like having a conversation because it's so taboo, um, because it brings up a lot of issues of you know, the person, are you going to make them feel rejected? You know, we can maybe get into some of those things that make people avoid, or maybe we can go there now. What do you think makes people, it's, it's a lot of things, but what are the things that come to your mind that make people avoid even looking at sex? Is it something that they can talk about or work on? Well, big part of it is uh, shame connected to mm-hmm. sex. Even when we have a kid that exploring their body, the parents, the first thing they do is they, they show this big reaction and shame the kid for being curious about their body. Mm-hmm. So we internalize that shame and then we grow up with this curiosity, which is completely normal. Mm-hmm. But then we learn through implicit and uh, kind of messaging or even kind of more uh, direct messaging we get from our parents that it's not okay to talk about it things. So then when we go to the relationship, when we go with a partner or we want to explore uh, sex on our own, then we experience this uh, intense feeling of shame. Mm-hmm. So we're not able to explore these things. Sometimes we're not comfortable with our identity. Everyone's sexual desire is different. I tell my clients that it's like uh, your fingerprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone is unique and there is nothing wrong with that. If you and your partner, you're not talking about what you like and what mm-hmm. this, what you dislike, you're, you will not be able to find compatibility and improve your sex life. So because we feel so much shame around sex, so much shame around our uh, kind of sexual identity, then at times it's hard to have this conversation. The other part of it is lack of education. Mm-hmm. We don't know what we don't know. We right. have this unrealistic expectation of what, uh, what sex is supposed to look like from uh, media, from things that we watched. Then we think if our sex life doesn't look like that, then there's something wrong with us. Right. Yeah. And those, you know, so the first one definitely is more of a, they're definitely interrelated because there's a cultural part that in certain cultures, especially, but almost every culture, but there's stigmas about sex and sexual pleasure and anything, even thinking about it, talking about it, and often more for women than men. That's very common in traditional types of cultures. But then when you mentioned the education, of course, if something is taboo, there's not much information out there. But also you learn you're not supposed to ask, you're not allowed to ask, you should just keep it to yourself. And so people, they suffer in silence. They deal with these things on their own because they feel like, you know, I'm not allowed to ask someone. Uh, even to mention that you care about your sex life might feel bad. Like you should just be okay with not not caring about it. So we can see there's so many barriers to people talking about sex, feeling comfortable, enjoying sex, even all of these things that make it that to seek a sex therapist could seem like a big 
stretch for people, a leap for them to make. You know, we're getting uh, close to commercial break. One of the things also, you know, when you're talking about things that might prevent a couple from talking about sex, I think is some of the myths we have about things like sexual chemistry, something you have or you don't have, and some of those related issues. So maybe after the break, we can explore some of those myths and misconceptions about sex, sex therapy, and all of those topics um, as we continue our discussion. Again, I'm joined tonight by Dr. Nazanin Mali. We'll be right back. Welcome back again, my guest tonight, Dr. Nazanin Mali, a sex therapist. And, you know, I wanted to get into some things about sexual chemistry. But even before that, I wanted to hear your thoughts on, you know, sometimes sex is seen as like a part of a relationship or maybe people don't think it's that significant. But what do you think about looking at sex and how significant it is in a romantic relationship? Well, it's my experience as a couple therapist, sex therapist, that sex is a glue that keeps many relationships together. Mm-hmm. Uh, statistically, we have 1% of people who identify as asexual. So they, it doesn't matter for them to be sexual with their partner or maybe they're not even interested. But the rest of people out there, when you're having a great uh, sexual experience with your partner, you feel closer to them. Mm-hmm. It, uh, it actually teaches your children about affection. Sometimes I ask my clients, then, uh, what was your parents' uh, kind of relationship like? And they were saying that, you know, they were cold, they were distant, mm-hmm. and I never learned about uh, what would the affectionate relationship look like. So I think having a satisfying sexual relationship is really, really important, mm-hmm. and it can help you with uh, kind of like, uh, it can prevent the relationship, the vulnerability of, uh, it doesn't, uh, it can prevent you from being vulnerable to outside challenges. So mm-hmm. I think that's mm-hmm. also important to keep in mind. Yeah, I think it definitely, like you're saying, the, a, a glue, it maintains mm-hmm. a certain closeness. You know, obviously with our relationships, we want to make sure we don't expect too much. You know, that's something you hear, I think, a lot of people, which is right. Like, they have to be your best friend, best mm-hmm. sexual partner, all these things. But a romantic relationship needs to include, of course, a friendship and that kind of connection, but also a sexual relationship. It's not just like a cherry on top or a maybe it's there, but you don't need to have it. It can really be a crucial part of, like you're saying, keeping the passion alive, that connection. Um, and I've seen, you know, I hope people, by the way, again, the, the podcast, Sexology Podcast, um, and you can also check out your uh, Dr. Molly's social media because there's lots of posts about, you know, like sex, I like can, the sex life stay good throughout life. I think sometimes people have these misconceptions that has to get bad or, you know, mm-hmm. the fire has to go out, which is not true. Of course, it can take work. Um, but yeah, it's not just something, it's an add-on or something on the side. I think people should consider it a critical component of their relationship, not just something that if it's good, you're lucky. If not, you know, forget about it. Which comes to this next point, which I mentioned before the break, you hear a lot this this concept of sexual chemistry. And the way it's presented, it's very much like either you, two people have it or they don't, and that's it. It's like this kind of essential, you know, comes down from heaven, like, you know, it's either there or not. But I wanted to get your take on that, this concept of sexual chemistry as a fixed thing. Well, uh, the quality of sexual experience is completely normal in the relationship to change. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, uh, most people are feeling more excited, like sex is more spontaneous, but the more that you are in a relationship with someone, then the uh, connection and bond strengthen, 
but sometimes it requires more effort to feel that sexual excitement mm-hmm. and that is not there's nothing wrong with the relationship it's like if you were having your favorite meal for every meal then uh, you might need to change the context yeah. for you mm-hmm. to have uh, great experiences so it's the same with with couples as well the other component of it is that what i see a lot that many people have this internalized shame around sex mm. so even when they start the relationship it's not about the relationship or the parts about themselves the more that they explore themselves the more that they work on that those limiting beliefs the more passionate the relationship can get i see many couples that at the beginning of the kind of relationship they were more reserved and mm-hmm. they were not comfortable with who they were but now they are in this uh, trusting relationship mm-hmm. which helps them to explore their uh, sexual uh, sexual part of themselves which is very powerful so i think it's important to think about it's it's something that you're investing in the relationship yeah. maybe it's like at the beginning the excitement is more uh, or maybe you have some psychological barrier on yourself around mm-hmm. sex and mm-hmm. that's something that you can work on and then that can strengthen the sexual bond of the relationship right yeah there's not going to be one path i think that's mm-hmm. a great point because some people actually it might get more exciting once the trust is there if they have certain issues or barriers about being comfortable or if they're allowed to feel sexual or messages they've heard or lots of other reasons. So I think it's good to keep in mind it's not one path for everyone. Like it's always going to be hotter and, and, and change. But um, yeah, the sexual chemistry part, the way I think about it is the attraction is natural, like you feel that, but having a good sexual relationship with two, two people, we shouldn't just think it naturally is going to happen without any communication, anything. You know, whatever we're doing in life, we work on it, we kind of talk, we communicate, we get it wrong sometimes, we learn from each other, we realize we misread each other, all those kinds of things. And I think the sexual relationship is the same thing, where there is a sexual attraction that's there between two people, but the sexual chemistry is definitely something that can be worked on. Um, It's not just something we should think you have sex once and you know what your sex life is always going to be like. There's a lot more to to explore. and It's always going to, like you said, evolve. And and I think that also creates anxiety for people because we like things to be predictable. We like to know. But I think there's this kind of paradox because with sex, you need to have a certain level of spontaneity and flexibility. So if you try to control it too much, obviously that's going to interfere with the sexual experience. So I don't know if you've seen that where people try to control what happens in the bedroom in their relationship, and that takes away a lot of that spontaneity and passion that needs to be there. Absolutely. And that is one of the number one challenges that I see in couples in long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. They are they feel sexually bored. They feel like mm-hmm. we've been doing the exact same thing in the last 20 years. And it feels comfortable because if you want to try something new in the bedroom, mm-hmm. it requires a level of vulnerability. Yeah. And it's you might not feel comfortable doing that and you're not bringing it up with your partner, but you end up having the same sexual experience and you're not excited. Sometimes mm-hmm. people come to me and they say, you know, we, we I struggle with sexual desire. But when we talk about it, you're not excited about the type of the experiences that you have. And it doesn't need to be something elaborate, something mm-hmm. drastically different. It could be 1.2 version of what you're already doing, yeah. doing something a little bit different or talking to your partner about different parts of yourself. Because mm-hmm. something that I hear often from clients is that like, you know, the, the sex is not exciting because I know my partner. I know what mm-hmm. they're thinking. 
And I can guarantee that you don't. <laughs> yes. That's, you know, as you were talking, um, I just mentioned recently, I don't know if you've read uh, Stephen Mitchell's book, Can Love Last? And Esther Perel talks about mm-hmm. these topics too. A lot of, you know, it's, but this concept that we trade passion for stability. So it's like kind of like we'd rather say, I know you, I know exactly how it's going to be because that's safer knowing I can't lose you because I know everything about you rather than accepting that even if you do know your partner, there's still so much you don't know. And so I, I always have thought about that in a relationship in general, but I think the point you bring up is such a good one about sex itself that when you make it routine, I know exactly what you like, I know exactly what you're going to do, I know exactly what I'm going to do. It, it has to become boring over time to do the same. It becomes mechanical. But if you recognize you don't know your partner fully, there's actually so much about them you don't know, which can be a little anxiety for me. I don't know. But that's what can keep some of the passion of let's see where we explore and can explore together in this trusting relationship. That makes it much more likely that the passion stays alive. Um, I also think you brought up a great point. Cause I think when people think of trying something different in the bedroom, they think it has to be something elaborate, contraptions, other people, or whatever their mind goes to, which freaks them out, which makes me, no, 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 let's keep it exactly the same because different sounds scary or it means we have to try so many things. And as you said, it could just be very small tweaks and changes that actually can rekindle the passion in the sexual relationship. So, But it's having that openness which has to be there first. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I, I didn't think of that connection there uh, between that. So sexual chemistry, you know, I, I'm wondering if people coming in, is that something, is desire ever bring people in or is it usually like a bigger problem or something they think of as a bigger issue that brings them to sex therapy? Well, desire discrepancy is one of the number one challenges I see mm, in my practice. Yeah. So because many couples in long-term relationship, they feel that, like they feel stuck. Like, you know, my partner wants more sex and I don't want it and they don't want to reject their partner or perhaps in this season of life maybe you have younger children or Mm -hmm. things has changed and there is a discrepancy between how much you want sex and how much uh, your partner wants sex Mm -hmm. and people in monogamous relationship which is most of the clients they see they feel like I I, you're kind of like denying me of this opportunity and it brings resentment and anger and frustration in the relationship it's no longer a sexual problem Problem. It's a relational problem mm-hmm. because when you say no to having sex uh, with me, you're saying no to me. Right. And how would that impact my relationship with you? I think that's also some something else that brings people to therapy. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, desire uh, discrepancy. And I think, you know, you're talking before about sex and its significance. I think sex is itself one aspect of a relationship, but all the aspects are interconnected. So it doesn't mean they're completely going to overlap, but they're not completely unrelated either. So issues in the sexual relationship are going to affect the emotional part, the emotional part affect the sexual, you know, they're not going to be completely separated. Um, But that desire discrepancy, I've seen that and also reminds me of other discrepancies like desires for closeness. So some people want more space, just that's how they are in general. And some people want more closeness, especially you'll see this if like an anxious attachment and an avoidant attachment person get together where the desire for closeness is different and the person who wants more of it can feel rejected if the person says well i just like to have this afternoon alone they take it as rejection i'm not good enough i'm unlovely you know wherever their mind might go and with sex sometimes it can even trigger i think deeper like I'm unattractive, I'm unlovable in even a deeper way. My partner doesn't desire me. Whereas discrepancy and desire, it could just be discrepancy and desire. It doesn't matter who the person was with, that's just kind of how they might be. But we can see how delicate these issues are. And I think that's um, one of the reasons why I think people, and you can speak on this from your experience, avoid talking about sexual issues, period, is they feel like 
it's too sensitive or I'm going to hurt my partner too much if I even bring up the topic. So is that something you've seen in your practice? Absolutely. And it's about the meaning that people make out of it, right? Mm -hmm. That like, I'm not desirable. Maybe if you were with so-and-so, then you wanted to have more sex. Mm -hmm. Or it's more about like, you, you don't want to do this for me. Or like I hear at times people, when their partner struggles with performance challenges or experiencing orgasm, mm -hmm. they get offended. They feel I'm not attractive enough. I'm not giving you this. And that impacts the relationship. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. oftentimes uh, the, the sexual challenges are important, but I think people, the meaning they make out of that about themselves, about the relationship, that's even more painful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's like anything. It's like what it means to you. So sex is about sex, but it's also about more than sex. Like value or even you know how people are in relationships as far as how much they give or take and those things can come up that might be similar to other aspects of relationship power issues can come up in a relationship that might be related to sex also sometimes it could be from what i've experienced in working with clients that it's not always a one-to-one -one, so it's like if you're more assertive or aggressive you're going to be that way sometimes it's even the opposite happens so it's a very dynamic uh type of a thing you know we're kind of touching on some myths and misconceptions so maybe we can talk a bit about that so what are some major myths or misconceptions you see about sex and the sexual relationship or sex therapy like what are some main things that, that come to mind well, one of the number one that I see that people feel that if there is a sexual challenge, they're defective. Like there is like they're broken. Mm -hmm. It's not an issue we're resolving. It's about me being broken. So or if my partner is not able to perform or kind of like have certain kind of level of arousal, they don't find me attractive versus thinking about this is an issue like anything else in life that we have to problem solve. Mm -hmm. The other uh, kind of like the misconception that people have is like, quote unquote, there's something normal out there. Mm -hmm. People feel that if I like this thing, then I'm sick. Right. It's like number one question I get, I like people like, am I okay? Is this normal? I constantly mm. hear from people that, is this normal? And what I tell people, if, if what you're doing is aligned with your values, and there's nothing wrong with that. There mm -hmm. is no normal. And I think what's important to think about that what makes sex exciting is you truly expressing yourself. Mm -hmm. It's a form of uh, expression and it could be a form of uh, co-creating this form of connection and excitement with your partner. And uh, the fact that we're bringing our individuality to the room, that makes sex exciting. So mm -hmm. sometimes people think about if our script is not exactly like what we've seen in certain movies, mm -hmm then there's something wrong with us. Yes. Uh, because we never get, like most people don't get uh, proper sex education, so they compare themselves to movies on what's normal and mm -hmm. what's not. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And also, you know, you said script, which is a good way of putting it, but it's also a reminder, uh, I was just saying this part, that it's probably more improv than scripted anyway, but you're right, if it doesn't match what we've seen, and I think this myth of normal, it's a really... Uh, painful in the sense that it causes so much pain, like there's, there's a normal way of everything, you know, like what's normal for this or that. And a big one with sex that we often hear is like, how many times a week should you have sex or how often should you have sex? Like I hear that from a lot of couples, like they want to know if they're having the right amount of sex, which is kind of funny, but I think it goes back to your saying desire and you know, how, what's your desire level, satisfaction, both partners, how satisfied do you feel? Like no one could come and tell you, no, you're not having enough or you're having too much sex or you're doing it wrong. It's if the couple feels good about it, that's that's what really matters. And genuinely is expressing what they want, then there isn't like a right way to do it. It's just right for you. Um, and I think that's every 
couple creates their own culture in a way mm-hmm. of the relationship from the emotional to how they spend time. We do date nights like this. We do that. And there's no exact right way to do it. But I think you bring up a good point that normal is going to probably take you down a bad path. But I think with sex, it's even more because like being a quote unquote, like sexual deviant has mm-hmm. this like charge of like, you're like something so wrong with you or you're like, even like you're disgusting or shameful. It brings up these kinds of really visceral reactions for people and they don't want to be that. So I think they curtail or limit exploring what they want to experience because it's not just like, oh, you like a certain kind of music that's different. It's like it kind of, you know, I think it looks like something at their core comes up uh, of who they are and it makes people resistant. So I don't know if you've seen that shame of even exploring what they enjoy sexually in individuals. Absolutely. And sometimes I get this kind of inquiry about one partner saying that, you know, like my partner want this. Is this normal? Mm. And I explored with the couples that are you curious? And it seems like the other partner is curious, but they're so scared of exploring something different because they they're scared that maybe like this is not normal because mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. fitting the script that I've seen. And we don't want to uh, go down this path, maybe. And it could be something very common. And because our uh sex education is so narrow then mm-hmm. it it limits people from kind of exploring their interests and desire and that's what makes the relationship exciting you and your partner talking about your likes and mm-hmm. it's completely normal for a relationship to evolve sexually between right. couples and uh, actually that can make it uh, healthy for for different ages because one other myth that i often hear is that sex is something that you do when you're younger when you're older, then mm. if you like sex or you want to have sex, there is like this myth of oh, a dirty old man, or mm. that's not something that like uh, p- older people do. But people of all ages, they mm-hmm. deserve to have satisfying sexual experiences. So it's very unfortunate when I hear that. Yeah, and I think even the way you said deserved to have that experience, it's like important to, you know, as you mentioned before, like having pleasure. Sometimes it's looked at as like this bad thing. You shouldn't even want, especially sexual pleasure. Like you shouldn't want it or, or wanting it is bad, which is so unfortunate because we take away people's enjoyment of the human experience. And this is one very major, especially in a relationship aspects of that, because of what we think is a quote unquote moral or ethical. But really, we're taking away a big part of the human experience, which I think is really, really unfortunate. Uh, we do have to go to another commercial break. We're going to go into our last segment. Again, my guest tonight, sex therapist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. We'll be right back. Welcome back again, my guest tonight, sex therapist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. You know, I, I was thinking in this segment, we can also touch on what are some of the main, most common issues that people come in to see you for sex therapy. And that way, it'll also make people realize like how common these things are. And then we can possibly touch on what treatment looks like, at least at a surface level, because I think that's another big area where people have misconceptions about what sex therapy even looks like. So, yeah, let's start with what are some of the main things that you see couples come in for? Well, first I want to start with saying that 40% of general population at a certain point in their life, they're gonna struggle with sexual function. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of uh, recognizing it, yeah. talking about it with your partner, and if needed, getting help. Some of the comments when we talked already about desire discrepancy of couples being in the kind of like different level of how much they want to have sex that uh-huh. can change throughout the uh, throughout the life and different medical conditions different uh, life transitions can impact that we talked about painful intercourse I mm-hmm. see a lot of clients that many women in later stages of their life that they, they assume that that's normal 
Mm. Like I want all the listeners to know that if sex is painful, uh, like stop it. <laughs> There's uh-huh. tons of great things that you can do to address it. We talked about uh, different intervention. You can go see a sex therapist, and they can help you. It's sex therapy is purely talk therapy. You're talking to someone that they have the tools and strategies that can help you to uh, kind of find the areas that they need improvement. Mm-hmm. So partly it could be talking about your kind of history, your relationship with your sexuality at times they send you to someone that specialized in helping you with uh, kind of like challenges with your pelvic muscle mm-hmm. so sometimes you, can, you go a few sessions to physical therapy and that can be part of your treatment and you don't know what you don't know right that if yeah. you are not talking about your pain then perhaps uh, you don't want to have sex I see that a mm-hmm. lot in my clients that if something is painful of course you wouldn't have desire and enthusiasm so that's that that's part of it uh, one of the challenges that I hear that sometimes women say like uh, or I see people of all gender but specifically I hear it a lot uh, among women that they say like I never want sex Mm. And uh, I love my partner, but I just I'm not in the mood for it. And um, when my partner approaches me, I don't want to have sex. Well, something that at times people don't have awareness around that we have different types of desire. Some people have spontaneous desire. Spontaneous mm. desire is like you're going about your life and then uh, you something shows up for you and you want to have sex. Like mm-hmm. it's more spontaneous. For many people when they're younger, that's what they experience. But for many, many, especially women, it's what we talk, talk about responsive model of desire. Responsive desire is you might feel neutral and then you engage in some kind of a sexual play with your partner mm-hmm. and then desire shows up next. So mm-hmm. first the uh, kind of physiological response shows up and then the arousal shows up and then the desire shows up. Um, I'm not suggesting anyone having sex when they don't want to, uh-huh. but for these people, there are at times there is this window of openness that I feel neutral and let me, me and my partner explore that. Sometimes having that uh, awareness can mm. help people to have a different attitude toward kind of being with their partner. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not that you're going to want it and want to initiate, but you might be open to exploring, let's say, even like physical or non-sexual touch or approaching sexual touch and then see if the desire is there. So some people are more that way, but they might think, well, no, I just don't want it without realizing that actually it's about getting to that place with foreplay and and things of that sort. Um, You know, I know you just mentioned like it's similar to talk therapy. There might be techniques, but well, I think people sometimes have this fear of like going to sex therapy means, for example, they have sex in front of the therapist or, you know, I've heard stories like this before, just like the things that and you've probably, I'm sure, heard many because of working with, with clients. So maybe you can give even people idea, what does it look like a typical th- sex therapy session? Excellent question. So it's it's a type of talk therapy. Everyone mm-hmm. is fully clothed and there's no touching involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, the therapist can make suggestions, ask questions, but it's always you are leading the sessions. Mm-hmm. No one's going to ask you to do something that it's against your values. You don't want to do it. Uh, but the person has some of the answers that can help you with kind of problems, some of the challenges mm-hmm. that you have. Uh, it's often more solution focused. So therapist might assign homework to you and your partner to do at home. Some of the uh, homework could be something non-sexually related. Mm -hmm. We talked about some of the challenges that people have. One of the uh, challenges that people have specifically, uh, many of my uh, male clients are uh, 
erectile issues. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's directly connected to uh, their level of stress. So if you are very stressed, of anxiety is high, uh, you're, you will not be able to experience an er- uh, erection mm-hmm. or it, your erection will be unpredictable. So the assignment for that could be you're doing number of different mindfulness exercises at home, breathing exercises at home. So you'll be able to work on your stress level, your anxiety level, and therefore you'll be more present during sex and you will be able to experience an uh, erection. Uh, or we talk with couples about if any of the couples have issues around um, reaching uh, orgasm, experiencing orgasm, how can each couple help each other with kind of problem solving with this? Again, Mm -hmm. these are just suggestions that are based on research. Because sometimes people think about what is the difference between me talking to my friend versus talking to a sex therapist. Mm -hmm. Sex therapists, the solutions they offer is rooted in research. So there's been a number of different research that shows that this specific intervention can help people with this host of challenges that they have. Mm -hmm. So you get something that's been tested versus a friend talking about their own individual uh, experience. Yeah, and I think that that comes a lot even with any kind of therapy, like, well, why can't I just talk to a friend? And oftentimes it's not that it replaces talking to a friend. You should do that, and there's certain even, yeah, with sexual issues, camaraderie and connection that you might get talking to your friends or they can have suggestions for you, just like with therapy. So it's not to replace that, but it can be a different approach that might be, like you're saying, more systematic coming from research-based techniques and tools to help the couple deal with that. So I think that's important to recognize that, you know, talking to your girlfriends, guy friends, or whoever your friends are can help in some ways, but a lot of times you need to address it more specifically with with the professional. Um, And, you know, going back to one of our, as we're coming to wrap up the show, um, you know, giving people hope, because like you mentioned things like erectile dysfunction or different issues that come up. And I just hope people can get that. I think they might think, well, I've dealt with it for so long, as you mentioned, People might not come in for four to five years dealing with something they, that hopelessness really seeps in that like this is just something we have to live with. But, you know, I'm sure you can share in a, a, a more generic way, not specific cases like people dealing with certain issues that you've seen them overcome. So things like erectile dysfunction or performance issues, that's a fairly common one. I'd imagine people come in for couples I've worked with. It's so and that's actually I'll just say that it's so common. These things, I think people because it's taboo, because it brings up things like for a male, their masculinity and strength and virility and all these things. They don't often talk with their friends about it, even close friends that people think it's so rare, but it is incredibly common. Um, and so people could it'd be good for them to know, like this is something that people can get help with. So I'm sure you've worked with that with many, many couples dealing with that type of issue. Absolutely. It's very common. Something that people don't know that in heterosexual couples, there is an arousal gap. Mm-hmm. Like it mm-hmm. often takes a female partner a longer time to experience orgasm. And uh, like what's out there in internet as far as like how long someone needs to uh, kind of maintain an erection mm-hmm. is very unrealistic. As a sex therapist, it's a matter of helping people how to close that arousal gap. It could be, first of all, be open with your partner talking about what works uh, for you. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I work with couples and say, okay, what did you talk to your partner about this kind of touch that you like? And they say, you know, no, I feel bad. I don't know. But sometimes it's just giving your partner uh, information, instructions about what works for your body mm-hmm. can be very powerful. So I guess the first uh, invitation I have for people to talk about it with your partner, it can be vulnerable. But when you are working on an issue, 
as together as a couple, you can completely problem solve this thing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when we're not talking about things, we feel it is something that's not resolvable. But talking with your partner is important. And then perhaps going for a consultation with a sex therapist, seeing that what's out there, like interview people. And sometimes it's a matter of adding a little bit of different tools and strategies mm -hmm. that you will be able to have go get back to the place that you are. And as we talked about, uh, every single person deserves to have satisfying sexual experiences. So sometimes people try to deny themselves of sexual pleasure feeling that, you know, that's not important or, you know, like I shouldn't want, I shouldn't want this. Mm -hmm. But I think wanting to have great sexual experiences, are, it's very normal and healthy and you worth, uh, you, you worth it and mm -hmm. it's important to invest in it. Yes, absolutely. I think it's like we it's come up a few times of this like is it just something on the side of the relationship or a cherry on top, but it really should be considered one very critical aspect of that. and enjoying it having that pleasure something that is possible for people to recognize they can have that and yeah you know erectile dysfunction is a common one uh, issues with desire and even that arousal gap i think is a very important issue that you brought up and i think it goes back to this lack of education people don't know and then they're afraid to talk about it so it goes to that taboo that you know it's something's just wrong this should just work out that's another thing people feel about sex like it just work out if it's not it's like just you have a problem and you can't fix it. Um, but that openness that you also mentioned is important because it's tough because we could take things so personally in general being, you know, I work with couples and it's like, okay, you want to tell them that something they did upset you. And, and somebody's like, you would hope you have the relationship where you can just say it, but a lot of times people don't. So it's like, how do you say it? And how do we open the conversation? Or maybe it's too much. I can't open it. So I can see in sex therapy you also help create that context where it's okay to have these conversations because you're going to help them with something, but they're going to continue having sex and having sexual issues that will come up and they might have to come back to see you if it gets to a certain point. But I also think you're probably helping them learn how to talk about these issues and feel more comfortable about it. So then they, they learn to resolve and deal with the issues as they come up. So just talking about sex, I'm sure is something that you help couples get better at. Absolutely, and how to have productive conversations. Yeah. Because sometimes uh, we want to talk to our partner about what we like, but sometimes it shows up as a demand. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. that kind of like turn our partner to be more defensive and yeah. we might not be hurt. So it's a, a skill that is helpful for people to cultivate when they want to talk about uh, vulnerable things like sex. Yeah, and I think actually the more we hold things in, the more they're likely to come out in a bad way, which I think also happens with sexual things where someone doesn't say it, and then when it finally comes out, it's going to come out in a worse way and your partner's likely to take it worse and it's probably going to go bad. But if we make it more okay to bring them up as they come up, the issues, then it could be a lot easier to navigate, you know, those things. You know, we actually are at the end of the show. Uh, as I mentioned to you before, I was like, I know we'd have too much almost to talk about because there's so many topics to discuss. I just want us to do an introduction about sex therapy and, and what you do and probably on future shows we can have you back to get into more detail about the various issues that people have maybe getting into more specifics maybe we can even take in calls but i appreciate the work that you do and i'll mention again if you want to listen to dr nazanin mali's podcast check out the sexology no, just sexology podcast which you can go to sexologypodcast.com um, or you can also um, go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Also, I would recommend you check out her Instagram page. You make some, I, I didn't mention this, very funny videos, which I think are great. And maybe on another time we could talk about that. If you also want to reach out to her for uh, therapy, you can go to her website at oasis2care.com. 
Dr. Nazani Mali, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you so much for inviting me and thank you so much for creating space for this conversation. My pleasure. We'll have to have you back on soon. As always, also a big thank you to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dolakwi. Have a wonderful night.